Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Seven Sage LSAT podcast. I'm Henry Ewing, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined with my other co-host, Austin Ho. Super excited to talk about our topic today. But before we do, Henry gets very upset when I jump straight into the content of the episode without asking him how he's doing. So, Henry, how was your day yesterday? Well, Asta, I'm glad you asked. Oh, God. Yesterday, I get back from my run. Okay. I notice a little puddle on the ground. I think, oh, did Hammer pee? But then as I look at the little puddle, I realize it's a big puddle. And I realize that the big puddle is actually a large puddle. And it's coming from my sink that's overflowing. Oh, God. And in my state of realization of, the, in, of horror and shock, I hear a pounding on the door. Only to realize that my downstairs neighbor is knocking on my door and asking if I have a leak. To which I say, oh. I don't have a leak. You liar. It's, it's a re- well, I, well, I, it wasn't a leak. I said, I don't have a leak. It's, it's me. I'm the leak. There's not a leak in the apartment. I am the leak. To which I had... You left your sink off? For like 40 minutes by accident. I don't know. I, I was mindless. <laughs> and I went downstairs and I had to put a bucket underneath. Oh, my Because it was God. draining into his from his ceiling. I felt really... He was very chill about it, though. I wouldn't like, be. Yeah, good guy. No, I made a new friend. I made a new friend. I know. I, I was like, man, good on you. He's like a artsy... Yeah, man, I don't care. It's all good. He was like laughing about it. You really it got stuff. lucky there. Today on the docket... We have follow the logic. Is it exciting? It's my favorite part. Well, okay. I don't want to lie and say it's my favorite part of the LSAT, but I think it's one of the most important parts of the LSAT is being able to understand logic, how to translate things into logic and do it almost immediately, right? Like without thinking about it, just having an intuitive sense of what a logical sentence is. So before we go any further, what is logic, Henry? Logic is a tool you use. It's a methodology. It's a lifestyle even. <laughs> It's translating English sentences into a visual representation of meaning. Why, why do we do, do that? that? Yeah, what's the point? What's the, why would you do that? Aren't English sentences a visual representation of meaning themselves? No. To which I would, well, they are in some sense. I would reply, touche. I don't know why we're in a, an imaginary debate here. But the problem <laughs> with English is that it's a, it's a beautiful language. I don't know why I feel like I need to defend English right now. Yeah, like I, on, yeah, but I, for yeah. our <laughs> listeners, the show notes originally said English sucks. And Henry threw a fit about it. It's like, no, English does not suck. English well, is great. Well, we have to take English on its merits, right? It's a, it's a great language. And there's a lot of different ways you can convey a meaning. But that's also exactly the problem, right? The very thing that makes it beautiful is also what makes it a problem. Why is that a problem? The problem is, is that... On the LSAT, we're really only concerned with the, the fundamental meaning of a sentence. We do not care about fluff, right? Lawyers are not known for prose, okay? <laughs> right? If they were, if they were, they wouldn't be lawyers because it's a terrible job. Uh, if they were, they wouldn't be lawyers. They'd be writers, but they're lawyers instead, right? So as lawyers, we're very concerned with the fundamental meaning of things. Yeah. The problem is for any concept in English, it can be described in so many ways. 10 different sentences can logically mean the same thing. Yet, nevertheless, they're written in 10 different variations. Yeah, just like they can have extra words in them. They can be organized differently. They can all be found in different forms, even though they're all trying to say the same friggin' thing. Yeah, like even though the base meaning is the exact same, they're dressed up differently. And that's it's tough for us because on this on this test, right, and on the LSAT, because we're only concerned with the, 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 the skeleton of the sentence, we have to get really good good at reading reading past all that fluff and and getting down to that fundamental meaning because then when we get down to the fundamental meaning we can do the additional step of 
finding the gaps in the argument, finding the gaps between the premises, looking for flaws. If we can't get to that point, it gets a lot harder for the exact reason that we mentioned, right? It's because so many things, so many, there are so many different sentences for any given concept. Does that, does that make sense? Is that, is, that, is that resonating with you? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I, I think that when we go through this exercise of translating things into conditional logic and, and understanding that fundamental meaning, right? A lot of times I'll hear people say like, this is ridiculous. Like, why do I have to do this? The LSAT is stupid. I don't want to understand this. Like, it doesn't matter. Why do I have to know? The meaning of the writing I'm reading. And to that, I raise you. Because you're becoming a lawyer. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, what do you think you're going to be doing in law school or as a lawyer? Your whole job, right, is going to be taking a set of facts and understanding what laws apply to those facts, right? And understanding what laws trigger when a certain set of facts is true. And that's all conditional logic is. If you can take an LR stimulus or a logical reasoning stimulus and understand the different rules that are being set forth, right? What conditions apply, what things trigger, what's necessary, what's the sufficient. If you can do all of those things, in my opinion, you're going to be better off in law school, right? Because when you see a case brief and you see a set of facts, you are going to be able to understand what things trigger because of that, right? What laws come into play? What jurisdiction is at play, right? All of these fancy lawyer terms, you're going to be better for having understood conditional logic. There's a lot of like three-point tests in law. Right. You know, like, you know, these three things have to be true. Right. Actual malice. It's a good name. That's a good name for a band. Actual right, malice. Actual, actual malice. Wait, that's a great name for a band. I'm ready. Should that we down. start a, a seven stage tutor? The seven stage band. band. God, I call it actual malice. That'd be pretty sick, honestly. I think that'd be really funny. I'll add it to my list. But cool, right? I just wanted to throw that out there that when you're studying conditional logic and you're getting fed up with it and it doesn't make sense to you, remind yourself why it's important to know this, right? Even past doing well on the LSAT, this is going to be helpful for you in law school and in just everyday life. Henry and I, we've talked about this before that like when we look at the news or arguments that we hear in real life, we are automatically thinking about the conditional logic within it, right? Like we, it's just this intuitive process, right? Of, oh, what's the necessary? What's the sufficient? What's going on here? Is that a valid argument? We're not doing that by choice. I don't want to be this way, but we've just practiced the LSAT so much that those things become easy for us to understand. And I think it helps us, me at least, in like everyday life to be able to understand arguments that way. It helps with with something. <laughs> it definitely helps with something. What that thing is, being good at the LSAT is one of that, but I'm not so sure. It's it's helpful. I like it. Right? It's very much one of those things where I like it because it makes me feel smart even when I'm not. To all of our listeners, I challenge you. Don't you want to feel smart? Don't you want to be better than, you know, person X? Well, conditional reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> Conditional reasoning is one way to get there. Your ticket to being cool. Well, let me let me ask you this, Henry. You've mentioned a couple times now, like boiling things down to their fundamental meaning or whatever the fundamental meaning of a sentence is. What does that mean, right? What does it look like to take 10 different sentences that all mean the exact same thing? What does it mean to boil it down to its fundamental meaning? Well, Asa, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Oh, God. Uh, I, I get so I terrified do, when you start off that way. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I was waiting for that setup. Good God. Um, on the LSAT, because we're concerned with conditional reasoning, when we're breaking sentences down into their fundamental meaning, what we're really looking for is turning the sentences into conditionals. And by conditionals, we mean turning sentences into a sufficient condition and a necessary condition. What is that? We talked about it a little bit last week, did we not? Just a little bit. We introduced it in, in last week's episode, but I think it's worth rehashing. Right. So the idea of a sufficient condition and a necessary condition is that the sufficient condition is a trigger or is enough 
to bring about the necessary condition. What do we mean by that? I think the iconic example that I like to use. Yes, I'm calling my example iconic. Yeah, I don't think it's that iconic. It's a very <laughs> standard, almost boring example. There's nothing boring about what I do, Asa. So let's just <laughs> let's just get that. You know, it, hey, if it's something I do, then it's oh, not boring. Oh God, Henry. In any case, in any case, <laughs> you kill uh, me. The standard, the standard conditional I like to use is if I have an apple, then I have a fruit. Where apple is the sufficient condition, which is enough to bring about the concept that you have a fruit, right? So I show you, whatever, I, I bring you a box, I have an apple in it. I tell you there's an apple in here, and I'm telling the truth in this example, right? I tell you there's an example, an apple in this box. Now, you don't literally see it, but because you know that if you have an apple, then you have a fruit, you have enough information to say, hey, there's also a fruit in that box, right? Because apples are fruit. Wow, that was so, so iconic, Henry. Thank I, you I know, so much I, for sharing I, your wisdom. I know. I can, I can hear how astounded you are. I hear how astounded you are. Just yeah, from, I can like hear the up. reaction of our listeners in real time right now because of how amazing that example was. Just dripping in awe. In any case, <laughs> back to apples and fruit. It's important to remember, too. Or it's important to remember that a sufficient condition is necessary or is enough to bring about a necessary condition. But the necessary condition is not enough to bring about the sufficient condition. What do I mean by that? Well, let's use the exact same example. If I have an apple, then I have a fruit. I show you a box and I tell you, hey, I have a fruit in here. Can you say it's an apple? No. What if it's a papaya or a pineapple? No, it could, it could, be, right? It could be an apple, but you don't know. It could be any other fruit too. All you know is I have a fruit here. So in this example, right, one where I tell you I have an apple, well, hey, look, the apple's enough to say you have a fruit. And in the other box, I say, hey, there's a fruit in here. You don't know anything more about that other than that it's a fruit. And so I want to, I just want to talk about that just a little bit more. When we're thinking about boiling things down to its simplest form, that's what it is, right? An if, A, then B statement, right? That's the most simple version of conditional logic that you can find. And a lot of times people have trouble identifying what's the sufficient, what's the necessary condition. And what I like to remind myself and what I like to remind my students is ask yourself, what do you actually know will cause something else, right? So let's take a look at my statement, right? I have an apple. If I have an apple, then I have a fruit. I know that if I have an apple, I learned something new, right? I learned something new by having an apple because I learned that I also have a fruit right? That's how I know it's my sufficient condition. But if I just know that I have a fruit, I don't learn anything new, right? Like Henry said, it could be literally any fruit. It could be an apple. It could not be. So if you don't learn anything new by the information, because of that information, it's the necessary condition. But if you learn something new, it's the sufficient condition. And I think that's a really quick and easy test that you can kind of use against different sentences, whether it's in logical reasoning, logic games, whatever it is, to decide what the sufficient condition is and what the necessary condition is. So for this episode, what we wanted to do is walking through a couple different examples of statements that can be boiled down into an if-then form, right? What we're going to call the most simple form of conditional logic. Now, there's a lot of different variations like we talked about of how sentences can be organized and structured and what words can be used, but they're all still going to be able to be boiled down to that if-then form. Pretty much any sentence, right, can be boiled down into that if-then form. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to work through a couple of different examples, especially with some types of words that tend to throw people off and explain, right, how we decide what the sufficient is, what the necessary is, and how it can turn into an if-then statement. One thing I will say, it's important to know that this will not be an exhaustive list, if you will. These are merely a few examples to get the ball rolling for you, okay? We're not taking you to the finish line, but we're firing the, the start gun, if you will. Right, like if you can understand all these examples and be able to quickly and intuitively understand how to turn them into an if-then statement, I think you're off to a really good start with this test. 
And and also adding too that when when people first begin with this, it is not going to be intuitive, or it very rarely is intuitive. It often requires some like some serious thought. I remember when I was working with conditionals, it would take a while for me to really understand what even a sufficient condition and necessary condition really meant. Right? I'd have like the definition of it and and kind of knowing what it means, but in practice, using it was a lot harder. And so, if you're just beginning studying, I highly recommend sitting with this for a while, even though it seems very elementary and very. I don't want to. I hesitate to call easy, but the the perception is that it's easy. It can seem foundational, right? Like it can seem like something that you shouldn't have to deal with until one. Once you're past like the first week of studying, but that's just not true. And, and like, yeah, exactly. Like Asta and I are telling you right now that this is not a, a, an intuitive thing that it ought to be grasped in one day, right? It, it will take a little bit of time. However, if you do spend the time to do this, it is a guarantee you will be scoring higher than if you didn't spend time doing this, right? It's, it's a guarantee. I can't tell you how many clients I come across where they have trouble translating sentences into conditionals and the actual like reasoning is perfectly fine. But because they're mistranslating the sentences, they end up doing a different problem than the one that's in front of them, right? They're doing an entirely different problem. And then they're answering the right question in the head. But the problem is that's not what the test is asking you to do, right? They're answering two plus three when the test is saying two plus two, right? Yeah, they would know really what two plus two equals. It. Yeah, they would know what two plus two equals for sure. But the problem is when they're reading it, they're, they're something happens, or it's not something happens. They're just misreading it to think it says two plus three. And it's like, yeah, great. You know that two plus three equals five. It does. It does, right? Okay. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> it does. Are you questioning but this, two plus Well, three? this is an off-the-cuff example. I was just, you know, yeah. You got to prepare to answer what two plus three is. Yeah, yeah. It's not in the copy, so I just had to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good God. No, but I, I, I'm totally with you. I totally agree. I think the last point that I kind of want to make on this before we keep going is your ability to do this will not only make you more accurate, but it'll make you a lot more efficient, right? So even if you're able to get through the section, I can guarantee you're going to have a much easier time if you can translate conditional logic quickly and accurately. And even though there is a way, sure, right, to take all these sentences and try to understand them at face value, in order to connect different parts of an argument and to connect different conditional statements, translating them into that most fundamental form, that most basic form, I just, I cannot emphasize enough how much easier it'll make your life. Or better, it'll make your life. I think you'll be better for having learned how to translate conditional logic. No, you you will be better off for it. You will because you'll actually understand what sentences really mean. If if that makes sense, there's a ton. Not unless people don't really know what that means, and they assume it means something that it doesn't. And this is not just people who are studying law school. This is everybody on earth. Mm-hmm. People make bad arguments all the friggin' time. And don't you want to know for the sake of knowing? Is it knowledge enough, Austin? <laughs> Maybe not. We have maybe, to sell you on the LSAT. <laughs> maybe knowledge isn't enough. Maybe people just want a high score on the LSAT, which I get. I, I totally get that. The real 180 is the, the knowledge we found along the way. You disgust me. Let's yeah. go ahead and start with some of these examples. <laughs> me so too. I, the first, no, Henry, you God. should feel good about yourself. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. You know, it's okay. Um, I like it. <laughs> looking into the first statement. I'm used to it at this point. Every city in Florida is hot. So that's the sentence. Every city in Florida is hot. Well, wait, I don't see an if then. How do I turn this into a conditional? Oh, oh my God. We might as well just stop recording. What are we going to do if there's not an if then statement? I, yeah, I know. But we can turn this into an if then statement, right? Every city in Florida is hot. So let's go with the test that I kind of brought up earlier, right? What part of this sentence gives us something new, right? Tells us some new piece of information. So if I know that I'm in a city of Florida, based on that sentence, what else do I know about that city? 
that it's going to be hot. Okay. So every city in Florida is hot. So you tell me I'm in a city in Florida. I can then tell you, well, that must be hot. Yeah, exactly. So if we were to translate that, we would put if it's a city in Florida, then it's hot. Exactly. And and why wouldn't it work for me to do it the other way around? Why wouldn't it work for me to say if the city is hot, then it's a city in Florida? Well, what about Texas, huh? <laughs> Not the what Texas about Alabama? <laughs> yeah, I know. We're just forgetting about the other hot places. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That's the issue there. Right. Because if I just know that a city is hot, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a city in Florida. Just like if I know I have a fruit, it doesn't necessarily mean I have an apple. But I do know that if I have a city in Florida, then it's a hot city. So every city in Florida turns into if you're a city in Florida, then you're hot. And and just for the sake of clarification, right? Hey, if (laughs) if they tell you on the LSAT, if it's hot, then it's a city in Florida. Don't think about, well, what about Texas? You need to take it, take what they say seriously. Yeah. Right? You yeah. need to take what they say seriously and say, okay, what's the sufficient condition? Hot city, necessary condition, then it's in Florida. Right? Our example here is is limited. The reason we can't say if it's hot, then it's in Florida is because that's not what our, our conditional says, or that's not what our sentence that we have here says. Just adding that, right? Sometimes they will do that on this test. They'll throw like a little bit of a curveball at you in order to play, or in order to play with your the assumptions you're making. And notice too, I, I, and just going back to this idea that there's multiple ways to say, say the same thing. The sentence, if it's in Florida, if it's a city in Florida, then it's hot, means the exact same thing as every city in Florida is hot. Are the words the exact same? No. Nevertheless, the underlying meaning there is the exact same. And so the reason we're using this if then or the the little arrow, right, the sufficient condition, arrow, necessary condition, is because we want to get everything into the same structure, no matter what the writing is, right? We want to get the, the meaning of these sentences into the same structure so we can quickly parse through it. Yeah. If you will. And, and learn stuff, right? Because now if I have that conditional statement, if you're a city in Florida, then you're hot, then any answer choice that has something about a city in Florida, I'm automatically going to know that it's, it's going to be hot. And it's a lot easier for me to parse through that information if I have an if-then statement versus if I just have a generic sentence saying every city in Florida is hot. All right, what's our next example? The next example we have is only people who use 7Sage get a 180 on the LSAT. Okay, I so love this, that is, this is tricky. Yes, I, I mean, true, by the way, without a doubt. It's tempting, though, right? Can, I, can we talk about what the, the tempting meaning of this would be? Maybe a layperson, right, looks at this. Okay, only people who use 7 Sage get a 180 on the LSAT. It's tempting to think, right, oh, if I use 7 Sage, then I'll get a 180. That's a tempting thing to think, is it not? But why is that why is that wrong? I think it totally is, right? Only people who use Seven Sage get a 180 on the LSAT. It makes you want to think that if you use Seven Sage, guaranteed you're gonna get a 180 on the LSAT. And while I, I certainly think that's possible, I don't know if that's a guarantee, right? Because if you use Seven Sage, that doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna get a 180. I don't know anything about the group of people who all of the people who use Seven Sage, but what I do know something about based on this sentence are the people who get a 180 on the LSAT. What do I know about the people who get a 180 on the LSAT? Right. The only people who get it are the people who use Seven Sage, right? So you can start with the back half there with only people who use Seven Sage get a 180. You just start with, okay, there are people who get a 180. All right. So we just begin with that. We think, okay, there are people who get a 180. Well, they add some additional information. They say, hey, actually, the only people, well, only people who use Seven Sage get a 180. So you think, all right, if I put a 180 down on the board, what else do I know? Going back to your example, it's like, what else do I know? This person, person Tom, Tom got a 180 on the LSAT. 
Good for Tom. Well, if the only people who use Seven Sage, are, or <laughs> only people who use Seven Sage get a 180 on the LSAT, and Tom got a 180, well, then Tom must have used Seven Sage, right? So we have the, the 180 in the sufficient, arrow, then they used Seven Sage in the necessary. So that makes sense. And I think, right, this is a weird, it totally does, right? And I think this is a weird sentence because typically we're looking for, with an if-then statement, the sufficient condition is going to come first, the necessary is going to come second. But here, right, we have the sufficient condition on the second part of the sentence. So intuitively, it doesn't click into that if-then template as easily. However, if we stick to the rule that we talked about, right, if you learn something new with this piece of information, it's going to be the sufficient condition, right? I learned something new by knowing that Tom got a 180. I learned that Tom used Seventh Sage. So that that word only and we have a couple different examples with the word only because i think it tends to trip people up but don't focus so hard on on trying to i I guess translate it with some mechanical approach but just think about what it is that you learn right only people who use seven sage get a 180 okay if you get a 180 then you have to have used seven sage because those are the only people who get a 180 does that make sense yeah no that makes a lot of sense and i think the reason you're touching on the the idea of the mechanics is i i know on seven sage and maybe on other platforms too, but there is a a list of words and when they come up, what do you do with them? These words indicate, you know, sufficient condition, necessary condition, negate this, negate that. Very useful for when you begin, right? You're you're a pure beginner. People memorize the list and they and they begin to work with it. The problem is though, they don't take that additional step to really understand why a sentence spits out the conditional it does. And and that ends up becoming a hindrance down the line because instead of really reading the meaning, right, they read the sentence, then decode it to understand the meaning. When ideally we want to get you to the point where you're reading the sentence and you're not doing any decoding in your head. It's just intuitive to you, right? So if you're just beginning, totally fine to, to you know, memorize the list of you know, group indicators on seven stage. That's what we call them. But you don't want to stop just there. After you do that, that's, that is the, the, the jumping off point towards exactly what you and I are going for, ideally, on this podcast, which is to break down, well, like, why does this sentence spit this out? It's one thing to know for the, the every city in Florida, right? It's one thing to know that every indicates sufficient condition. It's another thing to really think about the meaning behind that, the meaning behind that sentence and why it does that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I, the reason we're stressing this as much as we are is because I think there's something to be said about having, right, for example, let me backtrack. Some of my students for, for tutoring, right, will ask me to give them a list of all of the different question stems that could indicate a weakening question. I've gotten that request a couple of times now. And while I'm happy to provide a list like that, I don't think it's that helpful. When it comes to the LSAT, I don't want you to focus on just memorizing a bunch of scripted things and then just applying that over and over again on the test. I'd much rather you have a really strong foundational theoretical understanding of the test and of logic and the different questions they're going to ask and be able to apply it in a bunch of different circumstances. Because at the end of the day, the LSAT is not a test of memorization, right? You shouldn't be able to, the goal at least, isn't for you to be able to memorize your way through this test, but to learn skills and apply them. So that's why, like Henry said, when you're at the beginning of your studying, it's totally fine to memorize them to have a starting off point, but work towards being able to understand conceptually, theoretically, what does this actually mean, right? And if you take that extra step, not only is your ceiling for how well you can do on this test going to increase, but you're also going to have a much easier time with it. Studying for this test isn't going to be a bunch of flashcards, right? It's just going to be understanding logic and how to apply it. And I think that's easier. I think it's better. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. 
<laughs> Thank you, Henry. All right, cool. So we're done with that sentence. Only people who use 7 Sage get a 180 on the LSAT. Translates into, if you get a 180 on the LSAT, then you use 7 Sage. And that's actually a fact. We ran the numbers, and that is factually yes. correct. <laughs> we checked every person who got a 180. No, we should... Let me let me just cover our bases. That was rhetoric. That was hyperbole, guys, okay? <laughs> just just so you, you know, we I don't want anyone... We are liars. No, not liars, but lishers, baby. <laughs> I think it's a better way of putting it. All right. You ready to keep moving here? Yes. Let's keep on going. Another one is I only run when it's sunny. Okay. I only run when it's sunny. Every time I talk to you, I feel like you just got back from a run. You're like shoveling down a sandwich. No, I was that this morning. I did not get from a run. I was just coming back home and I, I was in the mood for a sandwich. What's wrong with a bacon, egg and cheese? Nothing. It's better than toast. All right. So I only run when it's sunny. So there's a couple different things going on here. It's you running and it being sunny outside. So I'm going to ask myself, right, with these two different things that we have running and it being sunny outside, what do I actually learn something new from? Well, when it's sunny, I don't really know if I know anything, right? You could be running. You could not be running if it's sunny outside, right? I only run when it's sunny just because the sun's out. What if you got the flu? I don't know, and you're at home and you're not running. Or what if you're recording the Seven Stage Outside podcast, even when it's sunny outside, just like it is right now when I'm in my room recording this podcast. I don't know anything new if it's sunny, but when you're running, right, if you only run when it's sunny, if you're running, I know the sun's out. Guaranteed, it will be shining down on the sidewalk. So when I'm asking myself what the sufficient condition is going to be, to me, it seems like the sufficient condition is going to be running, right? If you're running, then it's sunny. What do you think? Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. The when I hear you say it's like, I don't know anything about sunniness is I think when you see this, there might be a temptation to think, okay, I only run when it's sunny, it's sunny out, Henry must be running. But the problem is that's not the translation, right? That's not the translation here. So it may be a better way to read this, right? You see, I only run when it's sunny. Okay, what does that mean? You could say something like the only times I run are when it's sunny, right? So it's you're thinking like, okay, I only run when it's sunny. Well, what? How else can I say that? Okay, the only time I'm running is when it's sunny. And then you see me running down the street. Okay, <laughs> well, the only times are run, I'm running are when it's sunny. Okay, so run, arrow, right? Now, sufficient condition, run, arrow, sunny, necessary condition. Exactly. And what you're saying is so true, right? It's just to say like, okay, here, it's sunny out. Does that mean I'm running? Maybe I like basically never run. <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe. It's, it's sunny. Yeah. Or maybe, right? Let's actually put it, let's put it this way. Like maybe I live in a place that gets sunshine 365 days a year. Oh God. Right. So j- just by virtue of me running, right? At all during a day, it's going it to be sunny. It will always out. be sunny. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's like I run one day. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's sunny every day there. So of course, yeah. I only run when it's sunny. I ran. Was it a day of the year? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. It was a day of the year. <laughs> just happened and, to be and, sunny. And it just happened to be sunny. Which actually, I think that's another important thing to touch on is that conditionals don't necessarily indicate causation right just because there's a conditional relationship between the two that seems like a great topic that we will be discussing on next week's episode henry is 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 that what we're that's that's exactly (laughs) stop making these lsat mistakes oh my god yeah true true hey sneak peek (laughs) sneak peek to next week's episode so before we get into ahead of ourselves right the sentence i only sorry i was getting so excited for (laughs) next episode (laughs) i was like where are you trying to go with this yes the sentence i only run when it's sunny will translate into if you're running then it's sunny right and not the other way around i feel like we're ready to move on to the next one you ready henry yeah get me get me out of there all right only (laughs) out of running only if you're really hungry will you eat 
french fries. Now, this only if, goodness, it gives people nightmares. People hate the phrase only if. Have you seen that with your students too? Mm, not maybe sometimes can you I just think lie do di- for the sake of the yeah, podcast i don't know why i i like halfway through that i realized like why am i i well i started lying <laughs> when i said sometimes <laughs> I, I was like i started because because one of it's one of those things where the only if i feel like it's very if you have a little bit more experience with the lsat that becomes drilled in your head right does, does that make sense uh, yeah that's fair because oh, it gets you once and then you read it and it's like the, of course it's like because it's like the exact opposite of what you think should happen yeah that's fair and it's a little bit it's a little less subtle it's not very subtle right it's it's like a violent like i don't know I would- well, I don't know. It's like violently against what you originally thought. But in any case, let's <laughs> let's clue people into to what we're saying. Yeah. If right, the word if I see if I think sufficient condition. If it's an apple, then it's a fruit. If oh, must mean sufficient condition. Not all the time. Not not always. No, not always. I'm sorry, listener. I hate to break it to you. I know. Yeah. Take your time. Hey. Recover. You got this. Yeah. This won't be the last bad news you get. Oh, my God, Henry. Maybe it is. Maybe this is the last piece of bad news you listener will ever hear for the rest of your life. Okay, let's cut to the chase here. Let's let's be real here. They don't come to Seven Stage for <laughs> rainbows and unicorns. They're, people who believe in rainbows and unicorns don't become lawyers. I, t- I can tell you that much. In any case. Let's talk about our sentence. <laughs> Only if you're really hungry, will you eat French fries? So how would you break this one down, Henry? So there's a couple things I'm I'm looking at here. One is the only if. I know we're just talking. It's like the only it's it's the it's the thing that just jumps right out at you. What we'll start with is only if actually indicates the necessary condition. Let's just start with that. Let's begin with that. Right. You see only if whatever's coming after it is going to be the necessary condition. So instead of putting it, you know, in the part where the left side, you're going to put it on the right side of the arrow. Why? Yeah. Why? Why does it work this way? So why does it work this way? Right. If it says only if you're really hungry when you will eat french fries. Another way to rephrase this sentence is you will eat french fries only if you're really hungry, right? So that, that you, can, you can shift that around and say, okay, you will eat french fries only if you're really hungry. I then tell you or you see me eating french fries. Crazy. And you think, okay, that's interesting, right? That's interesting. Is what is, what is the rule that we just talked about? Well, it's like, you know, I will only eat french fries only if I'm, or I will eat French fries only if I'm really hungry. So if I'm eating French fries, then it must be the case, right? I'm really hungry. That you're starving. So when you, or, you know, well, it just says really hungry. Yeah. So what you're, you're, you're reading this and you see the only if you got to start thinking necessary condition. That's just the, the first thing that jumps into your brain, right? You see if it's sufficient, you see only if it, it's the necessary. And notice too, like the way we described this is we rearranged the sentence a little bit. That's okay. I just goes to show you again, right? English, such a dynamic and interesting language, really. Wild language. Yeah, exactly. Despite taking the last half of the sentence and putting it first, it means the same thing. The, the underlying meaning is the exact same. Okay. I don't know. Is, do you have anything to add about that? Sorry. I really just took that from you. No, no, that's okay. Right. You explained it really well. The only thing I want to add to that, right, is is bringing it back to that original kind of rule that we talked about, right? Like, what do you learn something new from? In that sentence, only if you're really hungry, will you eat French fries? If I'm really hungry, I don't know if I'm eating French fries, right? Like, I can't put that in the sufficient because if I'm really hungry, I could be eating French fries. I could be eating ice cream. I could be eating a burger. Who knows? But I know that if I'm eating French fries, I've got to be really hungry. I almost said starving again and you would have jumped out of the screen and killed me. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I learn something new if I see somebody eating French fries. I think I'm ready to move on to the next one. What about you? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, two more. Let's do it. 
Yeah, two more, and then and then you know we, we set you free. The next one is is a not or or not unless statement, and th- these get people all the time. I think it's probably the one that gets the people the most, the people, right, or gets my clients the most because it's very it, it's very confusing. The phrase here we have is I don't run unless it's from the cops. How do you translate that, right? There's a lot going on here. The the not unless statements are always so difficult. This is one thing I or one way I like to walk people through it. The statement, right? I don't run unless it's from the cops. Well, you begin with I don't run, right? So I don't run. Okay. You see me, Asa. I'm running okay. down the street. I'm not ru- <laughs> You see me on the street. What am I not doing? You're not running because you don't run. Exactly. You take that rule. You're like, okay, I don't run. You see Henry. He's never going to be running. But then I say, actually, you didn't hear the entire rule. I misspoke. I actually said, I don't run unless it's from the cops. Oh. Right. So, right. We have, I don't run. We start with that. You're never going to see me running. But then I said, well, unless it's from the cops. So all of a sudden, Asta, you're walking, you see me round the corner in front of you and I'm in an all out sprint. Oh my God. I never thought I'd see this. Yes, exactly. Right. Well, you never thought that's let's not lie to the listeners here. You see, me, you know, in an all out sprint round in the corner and you think, oh, remember that rule Henry told me, right? Yeah. He doesn't run unless it's from the cops. So you see me round the corner in an all out sprint. Well, who's going to be following up? The cops. They have to be. They absolutely have to. And be. I'm very fast. So it might take a while for them to round that corner. <laughs> but nevertheless, they will be round in that corner. Right. I don't run unless it's from the cops. So what do you do then? Well, what do you know now? Right. You put, hey, I see Henry running sufficient condition arrow. Well, then I know he's running from the cops. Right. Necessary condition. Exactly. But just because I see, you know, some cops happening, right, like walking around the corner, doesn't mean I know that Henry's going to be running, right? Henry could be like literally anywhere else. Maybe I've decided to stop running, right? And they've caught me, right? Or they're, they're <laughs> just like, hey, I'm not in the mood to run. Goodness. But yeah, if you are running, we know who's rounding the corner next, right? We know it's going to be the cops. So that's something that's the part of this that we actually learn some new information from. And that's why it has to be the sufficient condition. I really like the way you broke that down. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So yeah. And notice how just how different these sentences sound, right? If Henry's running, then it's from the cops. Henry doesn't run unless it's from the cops. Very confusing. And and that that is this kind of sentence is something, again, it's going to take a little bit of actual thought to really wrap your brain around. However, you will it will eventually just make intuitive sense to you eventually. But it takes a little bit of work. That's OK. Yeah, but you'll get there. You get there. Yes. All right. We're down to our last sentence and my personal favorite. If I could have the honor of reading this one out loud. Yeah, feel free. None of the cool people at Seven Sage are named Henry. And I stand by that. I think that that's a true statement, a factual statement. Unlike the 180 thing, that one is not rhetoric. That is just a fact. I've done the math. I've run you, the numbers. That, yeah, you've crunched the numbers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she crunched the, the numbers, <laughs> ran the data. <laughs> none of the cool people, none of the cool people at Seven Sage are named Henry. So how would you start by breaking that down? Wow, you're going to make me break down the, <laughs> the, the conditional that is running my name through the mud, running my good name through the mud. That's what you're going to do? I think it'd be kind of funny. <laughs> the audacity of you. Okay. Henry, remember that we're best friends. Okay. By right. The time yes. We yeah, get yeah, to the yeah, end two of the best episode, friends. Two best we'll friends. Right. Be yeah, best exactly. Friends. Yeah. <laughs> two best LSAT friends, right? Like, <laughs> is that the term? That's our um, catchphrase. All right. None of the cool people at Seven Sage are named Henry. All right. How do you turn that into a conditional? So, I mean, let's just take that as a rule. You believe that is true. None of the cool people at Seven Sage are named Henry. Okay. So, you believe that's true, and then I tell you, hey, look, whatever. I don't know. Maybe they're wearing a mask. It's like the masked singer, right? You know, they have a mask on, and you, Asta, you meet someone with a mask on. Okay. And they say, 
you don't know anything about this person, right? They don't know anything about this person, but they offer you a little bit of insight. They're, they say, hey, I'm actually a cool person at Seven Sage. Really? Yes. Well, I mean, that would be a weird thing to say, but I mean, this is our example, so we can do whatever we want with it, <laughs> right? That's the only thing they tell you. And you say, really? That's fascinating. And so then you think back to your rule, right? You think back to the sentence, that original rule that said none of the cool people are at Seven Sage. Well, here you have a cool person in front of you. From Seven Sage. Here you have a cool, from Seven Sage, right? You have a cool person from Seven Sage in front of you. Well, who do you know it must not be? It cannot be someone named Henry. There's no way. Right. It can't be because none of the cool people at Seven Sage are named Henry. So what I'm hearing, yeah, what I'm hearing you say is that if you are a cool person at Seven Sage, then you are not named Henry. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Because Henry's aren't cool. They're amazing. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> they're not only cool, they're amazing. Let's just put it that Whatever. way. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, let me so... have it. Let me have it. Come on now. Come on now. So you maybe break you down this this slander. The slander. Henry, I ran the numbers. It's just true. I don't know how to break it. Right, yeah. yeah okay. Ask the facts don't care about ask the facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> Dude, that's the words <laughs> yeah. in my mouth. It's so, not what you you didn't have to say it. Because I understood. What we know is that if you are a cool person at Seven Stage, then you are not named Henry. I also know this. If you are named Henry, what are you not? If you are named Henry, then you're not a cool person at Seven Stage. Mm-hmm. Contrapositive. Works both ways, which we're not getting into today, but I think it's important to understand that those two things mean the exact same thing, right? If you are a cool person at Seven Stage, then you're not named Henry. And if you are named Henry, then you are not a cool person at Seven Stage. Those two sentences mean the exact same thing. Again, a very nice tie back, Austin. Good job. Thank you. Tie back to the original idea of this episode is that multiple sentences can have the same underlying meaning, can mean the same thing. And that's why, right? That's why it's so important to be able to translate these sentences into into logic, right? Into their their fundamental meaning. Hey, if you can't do that, then you're going to have a very hard time on this test. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) That's a great place to, to end the episode, Henry. What do you think? Yeah, oh, I, I think so, too. You know, I need to recover. Goodness. for. I need to take five after no, that last too. conditional. Well, anyways, the <laughs> point of this episode was to show you guys a couple of different examples of how you can translate statements into conditional logic. And to dunk on me. And of course, of course, that's my day job. But yeah, yeah. if any of that <laughs> seemed difficult to you, seemed complicated, seemed tricky, that's okay. Take some time, listen to the episode again, go on 7Sage, go on whatever resource you're using, kind of review these conditional statements and continue practicing it until you could do it in your sleep. Once you get to that point, your scores will get better. Your life will get easier. Sun will be shining every day that you study for the LSAT if you understand conditional logic kind of at this level. You agree? Yes, I 100% agree. Awesome. Well, hey. Couldn't have said it better myself again. <laughs> You're on a well, roll today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will see you next week. Happy studying, y'all. See you next week. For more LSAT study tips, visit 7 See you next week.